His story starts as the quintessential 13-year-old kid who learned to write code entirely on his own. Yes, he still did everything else a 13-year-old does. Let's chat with Oshri Kohan in today's episode and cover an interesting topic. You don't need a CTO for a tech startup in the first four years. This is the Guiding Voice podcast series. The Guiding Voice for a Better Future. Friends, I'm your host, Navin Samala. Just a fellow professional on a mission to make the world a better place to live. Through the guiding voice, we drive conversations that matter and conversations that add value to your life and to your career. Thank you so much for tuning in. And Oshri, hearty welcome to the guiding voice. Super excited to host you today. I am super excited to be hosted. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then let's get started. So I'm I'm really curious, like what made you write code when you were 13 and who inspired you? Now, and, and the reason for this question is very obvious, like nowadays uh, computing is taught in the school, but uh, you belong to a generation where it was not that common as it is today, right? Hence the question. Uh, I, I, yeah, <laughs> when I was 13, the internet was a luxury, right? People exactly, had yeah. the internet, it was a luxury, I had dialogue. So... You know, it's, it started at a time where you could download all sorts of movies and, mm. and games. You know, pirating was a, was a very big thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You could just, and at, at 13, okay, my morals were not at, as, as they are today. Uh, I wouldn't <laughs> do this today. But back then, I did that. I wanted a movie. I couldn't afford it. I downloaded it. I wanted a game. Couldn't afford it. I, I downloaded it. Me and my friends were doing that. And we realized that, that a lot of people were... We're putting uh, fake names to really, really horrible movies, mm. right? Like very illegal, very like, I won't even, I don't want to <laughs> even describe how bad it is. And we were annoyed by this. And well, like, first of all, these people are being hurt, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so we decided to learn how to code to try and, and attack them. And that's exactly what we did. We wrote wow. viruses. This is my first coding experience was <laughs> how do I crush this guy's hard drive? <laughs> and so, you know, we learned how to code C++, all of that stuff, right? You know, I'm at 13 after high school. I'm coming in. My parents don't know what I'm doing. I'm on the, I'm on a computer all day long. I, I crashed a few of my hard drives because I ran it on my own machine and it died. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> and, and, and they were happy about that. And, and that's, how, that's how I learned. And then we started distributing it as movies and whatnot to these people that, that we knew. We're, we're, we're doing bad things. So it's almost, I learned as a, as a vigilante, almost. Mm. I, was, I, was trying to, I was trying to attack these people. Uh, <laughs> we stopped that a little bit shortly after. We did it for like a, for a few months. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it. Like it's just, it's, you know, that's how I learned. That's how I got into it. And then the bug hit me. And from there, I didn't stop coding. <laughs> and, and are you still coding some viruses or have you stopped it? <laughs> no, 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 no. Wow, we are done with that world we are done with that world like you know, I, I am not nearly as good as, as, as uh, providing providing viruses yeah makes sense and Ashri like can you also share the top three things that I've attributed to your success so far like so-called success mantra um my slight dyslexia mm-hmm. so so it uh, so it forced me to look at the world in a different way and solve problems in a different way where for everybody else, it was a little bit easier, right? 
reading and writing and all of these things. Um, for me, I have to really, I, I have to learn how to learn, right? And I have to adjust how my brain thinks, right, in order to do that. And I think that allows me to, it, it created a very, very strong analytical sense. Mm-hmm. But I had it, I, I'm sure I already had it, but that's just what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, my parents always taught me, own your own business, don't work for people. Mm-hmm. Own your own business. That's it. Just like, don't work for people. It's not worth it. It's always going to be a problem. There's that. And the other one is I never stopped coding. I still code today. Mm-hmm. 20, almost 24, 25 years later. I'm still coding and I'm going to code in 25 more years, right? I'm just, I'm going to keep doing it. I love it. Although I don't do it full on professionally anymore, but I love it. Mm, yeah. So as as you said, this coding bug has bit you so early and it is still on. Great. It's it's still on. And honestly, we're in the golden age of software development now. Back then, my first startup when I was 20 years old, mm-hmm. my first startup, I had to buy the servers and I had to go install them myself. Now, yeah. all I need to do is click, 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 and a server is spun up. It's mm-hmm. so much easier now. Yeah. It's insanity. Yeah. It is so much easier than yeah. it used to be. That, that's the beauty of cloud. I, I still remember my coding days as well. Like uh, when we wrote web applications, it was difficult to get the get that hosted. One one part was coding it, building, whereas the other part was de- deployment. As you said, like we need to buy the servers, configure them, create the containers, and everything used to take a few months, anywhere between a few weeks to a few months. <laughs> yeah, so, now it takes uh, within within one day. I can write code and deploy it on the internet, bind the domain to it, and that's it. it it's true. it's quite amazing. It's quite amazing. True, true. Now let's talk about the core of today's topic, like your journey as a fraction CTO. Like, uh, yes. How how did it start, and how do you help businesses save upwards of four hundred thousand dollars a year? In tech leadership course. Let's let's start with how I started as a fractional CPO. Yeah. Mm. So I was very frustrated in my in my job search as CTO. So I was CTO a few times, VP of engineering, and so on and so forth. And I was very much frustrated because I knew what the CTO was, and employers did not understand it. They thought a CTO was an expert developer. And yes, you have to be an expert developer, but that's it. But you also have to be a businessman. You have to understand finances. You have to understand business. You have to understand operations and customer service and product. All of these skills, which I had because I ran my own business. I had two businesses before the age of 30, right? And my and the entire time as of from 30 to 40, I'm 41 now, 30 to 40, I was in the executive realm. So I was always director, VP, CTO, and so on and so forth of startups, of bigger companies. And whatnot, and and I was as I was looking for roles, I I was getting frustrated at it. Then, then I lost my job, right? I lost my job. I was director of technology for North America for a startup that had raised hundreds of millions of dollars. I was super happy, and it turns out, and the company had overhired and they hired my job. They hired someone to do my job. They forgot that I existed. That's how quickly they grew. It was, it, was the, it was the most insane thing I've ever seen. The most insane thing I've ever seen. Yeah. And I said to myself, I'm like, you know what? This is the last time that I'm going to depend on somebody else for income. And yeah. that's when I decided to start the fractional CTO. Now, I keyed on to that. 
I have some friends in Europe and mm-hmm. we talk. And in Europe, it's a very much a big culture of we're going to borrow, we're going to rent. We don't need to buy, right? So we don't need to acquire a full-timer. We can use contractors. We can use consultants. They love it. They, it. It's part of their culture, right? A lot of people rent over there. They have. They only take what they need, and mm-hmm. that's it. That's why European cities are so beautiful. There's, yeah. there's not a lot of big, you know, open open areas with um, uh, with houses everywhere and whatnot mm-hmm. compared to the United States. And and they told me that the fra- the concept of the fractional the CTO existed in in Europe. The mm. fractional CEO, the fractional CFO existed also in North America, but mm-hmm. not the CTO. Very, very few. So I labeled myself as such, and I'm like, okay, I think, and I know, having been CTO and VP many, many times, and mm-hmm. having had CTOs and VPs that were my bosses and mentors, yeah. I knew that you did not need one full time. Mm-hmm. And and that was an interesting um, statement to make because everybody thinks you do need one. So it goes yeah. against the grain. So it's the whole world against Auschwitz. Yeah. <laughs> and, I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, no, you don't need one. And everybody says, you do. And I'm like, anyway. So, and the reason why you don't need one and the reason why a lot of startups make these, a ton of mistakes with their first hire is because the CTO role involves over four generations. Mm. Your startup may be changing, maybe graduate generations every year, or maybe every six months, or even every three months if you grow really, really fast. The the CTO first starts needs to be on generation one or year one, but I call I like to say the generation needs to be an engineer, a great engineer, the tech lead is the best engineer. That's the that person needs to be because they're coding all day long, they're hiring developers all day long. Generation two, they need to be a manager. At that point, they might have a sizable team. They can't code anymore. Now they have to manage the team to make sure everything is good. But it's not only managing their team, it's managing the product team. It's managing the CEO as well, and so on and so forth. Then it, the, the CTO at Generation 3 needs to be a leader because now they have multiple teams. Now they have to lead these managers. And at Generation 4, they have to be a visionary. Mm-hmm. So this individual that's hiring as an engineer, which is a highly creative role, you are now asking them in very short of time to become a visionary or a leader, I should say, maybe. And let's talk about generation. Forget generation four. What are the what is the likelihood that it's the same person? What's the likelihood that it's the same person? Yeah. How can yeah. how can you ask a developer to be able to do these types of to make these kinds of decisions? That's that's the that's the important part, right? Mm-hmm. And so the mistake that they do in the traditional business world, they'll say, oh, we need a developer that's hire a developer. Yeah. What do you know about managing developers and managing their work? Mm-hmm. So they'll do whatever they think is right because these developers, a lot of developers, if there's no technical organization, you're not going to get really good ones. I can tell you that much. You're going to get the ones who just need a job, right? The really good one, they want to work for a technical organization that is that is professional and so on and so forth. So how many of those, how many companies like that exist? I can tell you very, very few. Even those that are bringing 20, 30, 50 million dollars a year. Very, very few. Mm. And um and and in startups, they make the same mistake. They hire the CTO, they give them equity, give him or her equity, right? Yeah. The person leaves after a year, having done 
the best job that they could do in a year or sometimes they live up to two years because they realize they don't want to be a manager. They just want to code. And they took the job by mistake and the person now just gave them equity by mistake, right? Mm, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. And give them equity by mistake. And so both types of companies are at a loss. They're both mm. disadvantaged because they made the wrong technical, the wrong decision in their hire. Yeah. That's mm. where the fractional CTO comes into play. You only need one, two hours a day, one hour a day to advise, make sure everything is set up properly, help with the developers, coach them. Let's go. I yeah. manage 180 developers every wow. day. Wow. Across <laughs> four, across four clients. Mm-hmm. That's they have their managers. Yeah. So I'm not managing them directly. So I manage the managers. I'm leading the managers, the architecture, the product across four separate customers every mm. day. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I can do that. And they still don't need a full-time CTO. And, mm. I, and I tell my clients, when you need one, I'll tell you, because then I, I can't service you well enough or fast enough. Mm-hmm. So so how can I say? Um that's it. So, so if I can do it, you know, one hour, two hours a day, sometimes one hour a week, that's all yeah. I need. Because yeah. once you create a proper process, it's good. See, it's like it, the, the engine just keeps running and then you just yeah. have to fine tune. And that's it. Yeah. And that's how I save $400,000 a year. <laughs> because to hire a person like me full time, it's about, it's actually $500,000 a year. Yeah. Yeah, I think it makes sense. You have built a model and uh, scaling it up that way businesses are getting benefit out of it. And yeah, absolute uh, great idea. Let's move forward. And can you also talk about the dev agencies? Do you think dev agencies are required for the non-tech startups? Yes. So dev agencies are a great option. However, big however. Mm. Okay. The business model of the business model of the dev agency is one of increased billable hours. Mm. When they work, they make money. So by definition, they want to create more work. Now, not all dev agencies, a lot of them are fantastic, and a lot of them that I've met will tell you, no, this is a bad idea. We shouldn't be building a product of product like this. We'll build a product that's very small. Yeah. Because that's what's good for you. Because they're ethical. They're good people. But for every one dev agency that's good, you have a hundred that are not good, that are horrible, right? That's, that they write code in, in, in a non-standard way. They design solutions that, they, uh, that the client didn't ask for. And in general, I like to equate a dev agency to a genie. You know the genie from Aladdin, the movie? Yeah, yeah. I, I you know rub that. the genie, the lamp, <laughs> yeah. comes up and says, what are your three wishes? Yeah. And and Aladdin will ask for a wish and he will get exactly that. <laughs> right? Yeah. But it's what you don't ask for that is more important than what you do ask for. Mm. And I've seen and I've audited the work of so many dev agencies. Mm-hmm. And I manage projects for these dev agencies, right? For for yeah. clients that hire dev agencies. They hire me as a lawyer. They're like, Ashri, you tell me if I should be saying this or that. Good. I tell you. And then I go back to the dev agency. I'm like, this is how you need to do it. This is how I want you to do this. This is how the architecture, this is the component. And what I also do is I review the code of the dev agency. Okay. Not a mm-hmm. lot of people, not a lot of dev agencies want me to do that. If they don't yeah. want me to do that, I say, okay, then you're not hired. <laughs> we'll go to another company that 
that does want me to do that, right? Yeah. right? And and here's one thing that is that is really really important for business owners to know: just because the dev agency wrote the code doesn't mean you may you want them to maintain it. Yeah, and they may not write it in a way that is maintainable mm-hmm. that you can transition over to an internal team because the dev agency is expensive. So yeah. if it's a one-off website, that that's it. Okay, go to a dev agency. You don't need me for that. Mm-hmm. If it's a web application that you're building in WhatNot, you need representation because mm-hmm. you're going to eventually want to bring it in-house. Mm-hmm. And I make sure that it's done well. Yeah, I think it is uh, pretty clear. And uh, you, a while ago, you mentioned about you act as a lawyer, right? So how CTO yes. can be a retainer? Yeah, so so the CTO retainer is you get access to my time whenever you need mm. me, okay. right? In order for me to always be available, I'm available on Slack. I'm available on email. I'm available on WhatsApp, by phone. You can call me anytime you want, but you reserve my time. Mm. And every month you pay a certain amount. Mm-hmm. That's the amount you pay every single month. Okay. And when you use me, I deduct the hours and we move forward. But I bill you every single month. Yeah. Right, you mm-hmm. never, yeah, that's it. So, and this works very, very well for clients because at the beginning of a project or a mandate, I may need to spend a lot, a lot, a lot of time. But we have a retainer, it's a minimum of six months. Mm-hmm. I may have to spend a lot of time with the developers, with yourself, reviewing code, reviewing systems, mm-hmm. talking to everybody, all the stakeholders, all the stakeholders, and that will be way over 40 hours a week or 40 hours in the month or whatever it is. But over six months, the hours will average themselves out and everybody okay. gets what they what they mm-hmm. need. But yeah. it creates a repeatable expense that's a, a predictable expense, I should say, for the client. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is a fantastic idea. I think uh, this is picking up. And we had this retainer concept in the lab. I, I came across uh, certain prominent lawyers in India. They charge people on... Uh, this six months basis and they deduct the hours based on how much time they spend. I think that is picking mm-hmm. up in the IT space as well. And uh, yes, yeah. So based on your experience as a CTO, of course you you might have played the role of a engineering manager and then you have graduated as a CTO and now working as a fractional CTO for many companies. So how can these companies achieve engineering excellence? So engineering excellence is a concept that that differs depending on the company and its business model. So typically in a startup engineering excellence, you know, code reviews and PRs and and proper writing code proper way of writing code that is that is standards, that's standard approved by by the community. That means any other developer will come in and say, ah, I see, I understand how you wrote the code. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Right, um, yeah. But where it differs is in some industries like startups, you're allowed to deploy multiple times a day, mm-hmm. right? In healthcare, you can't. You got to deploy yeah. maybe once a week. In finance, maybe every couple of weeks, right? Yeah. So you don't need the same level of engineering excellence because the engineering excellence itself is 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 to deliver a how can I say? Uh, a certain velocity that the business needs, you mm-hmm. know? And and I have a different one with every client because they don't need any more than that. 
Some mm-hmm. clients are just internal tooling. They don't need every day. They need once a week. Some clients are in the educational phase. They need it only every night. Mm-hmm. But even yeah. then, maybe not because, because even at night, they use their system. So they do it sometimes in the, just on the weekend. And that's okay, right? Yeah. But the one thing that doesn't change is the code has to be written correctly. The systems have to be architected correctly. And the data model has to be designed correctly. Those are... Those are immutable. You can't, you can't change those, right? It's like following the law. You have to follow the law. You just have to follow the law. That's it. Mm, you know? Yeah. Great, great insight so far. And uh, Arshi, let's add some spice to the conversation. If you're okay, I'll kick off a quick rapid fire round so that our audience will get a chance to know other side of you. And uh, here comes the first question. Even I'm curious to know the meaning of your name, Arshi. It's a Hebrew name. It's, uh, it's from, uh, you'll only really find it in Israel right mm-hmm. where i was born and uh it means rich with friends oh. or rich with people around me that's oh, okay. uh, that's that's what that's what it means yeah wow nice interesting <laughs> moving to the next one if you could have one gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it what would it say oh my gosh um don't be nice be kind don't be nice being nice yeah being nice and saying yes to everything and hurting yourself for other people mm. and, and giving up yourself for other people. Be kind. I'm not a nice person. I'm a very <laughs> kind person. I am very direct. If somebody makes a mistake, I will tell them right away yeah. and I will tell them gently and, and kindly and I will help them through it. Super. And what's the first thing that you notice about someone when you meet them? Uh, whether they smile. <laughs> the first thing I notice. <laughs> Are you smiling? Like, like you know, if it's a if it's a person straight from 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 nothing, yes, mm. from never having met them, that's the first thing that I notice. If it's mm-hmm. a person that I'm working with, I they don't always have to smile. Sometimes they have a bad day, and that's it. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And moving to the next one, can you describe yourself in just one word? Uh, analytical. Analytical. Okay, great. And uh, what is the weirdest thing that you have ever eaten? Weirdest thing that I've ever eaten. Um, is a uh, what's it called? It's called it's escargot. It's a it's a French dish. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. A, it's a snails, snails oh. in a in a in a in a sauce. It's disgusting. Oh, well. <laughs> I didn't like it at all. I did not like it at all. It actually tasted good. It's just the the uh, the texture didn't appeal to me. Mm-hmm. That's, that's okay. the weirdest mm-hmm. thing. <laughs> and on a scale of. One to ten. How good are you when it comes to keeping secrets? Well, pretty good. I'm pretty good. Depends depends on the secret and depends on the person. If I respect you, it's not a problem. If I don't respect you, forget it. Don't 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 tell me things. I also don't want to talk to you if I don't respect you. So it's a different ball. <laughs> Got it. And uh, here comes the last one for rapid fire. What is one electronic gadget that you'd like to see or invent yourself? Gadget that I would like to see or invent myself. Yes. What one that can recycle plastic in the house and mm. produce uh, and and three D print something else that I need with that waste. Wow, I think it's a fantastic idea. <laughs> Good one. I, I think it's a fantastic idea as well, but it's uh, you know different kinds of plastic, so I have no idea. I have no idea how to do that. No idea. Maybe someone watching or listening to this episode might come up with an idea. <laughs> I hope so. You know, there's too much plastic and waste. There's way uh, too much plastic and waste. Absolutely. I think it's time for uh, inventing something of that sort to protect Mother Earth for sure. 
And uh, let's flip back to the mainstream. What will be your one piece of advice to those aspiring to make big in their careers, Ashri? Start your own business. You can never really rise up in your career unless you know how the money is made. You will never respect your boss and the decisions that your boss has to do if you don't know mm. how money is made, if you haven't had to make really tough decisions as to as to costs, as to timelines, as to having to let someone go, as to changing your decision. You can never do that. I mean, you could, but it'll take you very long to be in that position. When you start your business, even if you have a business for two years, and that's it, that has more value on a resume than anything else. Yeah. Right? That yeah. any company you've ever worked for, because somebody knows that you were in charge of your own money and you made decisions with your own money. Right. As soon as you make decisions with your own money, you will treat their money with, with a lot more respect. Yeah. So it, it, it already says something. Yeah. And it doesn't take it doesn't cost a lot to start a business. Yeah. Start any business. doesn't matter what it is. Just start, sell something. Just yeah. go with it. You'll yeah. learn more in one year of business than in an MBA or a university or 10 years working for someone. Mm. Super powerful advice. Thanks for sharing that. And how is your experience being hosted on The Guiding Voice? I love it. It's fun. I love, <laughs> I love being on podcasts. <laughs> sure i i thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and rashi thank you so much for joining me today and i appreciate your time and valuable insights thank you very much all right so it was pleasure to host Ashri and uh, friends that was our conversation with Ashri kohan who had shared a lot of insights about being a fractional cto and how startups can manage without hiring a full-time cto and many more things now Let's cruise into the trivia segment of today's episode. And before we move into the trivia segment, as always, here is a request to you. Please subscribe to us in case if you haven't done already. Also, if you have loved the conversation and found the episode useful, request you to share with at least three of your friends or colleagues who can benefit from the guiding voice. Thanks much in advance. Now, let's talk about CTO history. You know, after World War II, Large corporations established research laboratories at locations separate from their headquarters. And the corporation's goals were to hire scientists and offer them facilities to conduct research on behalf of the company without the burdens of the day-to-day -day office work. This is where the idea of a CTO focusing on the overarching, on the overarching technology infrastructures originates. And at that time, the director of the laboratory was a corporate vice president who did not participate in the company's corporate decisions. Instead, the technical director was the individual responsible for attracting new scientists to do research and also to develop products. And in the 1980s, the role of these research directors changed substantially. And since technology was becoming a fundamental part of the development for most products and services, Companies needed an operational executive who could understand the product's technical side and provide advice on ways to improve and develop. This all led to the creation of the position of Chief Technology Officer by large companies in the late 1980s and with the growth of the information technology industry as well as the computer or internet-based companies. That's all for today and if you are aware of any unknown fact or least known fact about chief technology officer <laughs> request you to leave a comment either on youtube or on social media wherever you have found this episode 
that's all for today thank you so much for tuning in and folks do not forget to share your topic recommendations or guest speaker suggestions through social media or email me at theguidingvoiceforyou@gmail.com i am your host navin samala just a fellow professional and a passionate learner on a mission to make the world a better place to live through conversations that matter and conversations that add value to your life and to your career until next time bye bye see you all in the next episode with another wonderful guest